Welcome to Using Our Library Voices, a podcast that represents yet another way that Harris County Public Library provides information and resources to enrich the lives and strengthen communities through innovative programs and services both within and beyond our walls. Hi, I'm Darla Pruitt, Young Adult Program Librarian from the Atascocita Branch Library. February is synonymous with love, and this month we're showing love to some of our local creators, Harold J. Trotter and the Jalen Baker Trio, the Crosby Branch Library, and genealogists all around the county. Last year, we celebrated 100 years of Harris County Public Library. This year, the spotlight shines on the Crosby Edith Fay Cook Cole Branch Library as it turns 100. Crosby Branch Manager Molly McGinty invites us all to the celebration. Hello, my name is Molly and I'm the branch manager of the Crosby Edith Fay Cook Cole Branch Library of the Harris County Public Library System. The Crosby Library has recently celebrated its 100th anniversary. On January 22nd, 1922, 87 books arrived at the Crosby Schoolhouse and this was the first location of the Crosby Library. In the summer, the library was moved from the schoolhouse to the post office or to one of the local stores. The library remained using the schoolhouse until 1930 when a small building was donated. This building was nine feet by 12 feet and had once been a gas station and hot dog stand. But with some hard work, elbow grease, paint, and a little carpentry, the library was moved into this new building. Several years later, the building was expanded to be 12 feet by 18 feet. This small building remained the library until 1956, when it was finally moved to a 240 square foot air conditioned space on Avenue B in Crosby. The branch was able to hold more books, but it was not big enough for much else. All programs had to be held either outside at a school or at another location, such as a grocery store. The building was little more than a book stop. The library moved once again in 1980 to a rented space in a shopping center on Church Street. This library was big enough to hold programs and actually have people come into the library for events. Summer reading programs and story times were finally held in the library. But even in this new large space, it was clear that the library needed its own building and it needed to be a building that would be large enough for it to grow for many years to come. In 1979, the Friends of the Library were organized and they helped to raise money for this new library. The groundbreaking for the Crosby Library on Hare Road took place in 1986. The building would be over 10,000 square feet. It was completed and opened in October of 1987. More than 300 people attended the open house. Over the years, the library has continued to grow and change and meet the times. Most noticeably, the addition of many public computers that are free for anyone to use and have access to the internet. The Crosby Library has seen many visitors and performers enter its doors. Thousands of story times and children's programs have been held in the large meeting room. In 2016, the library was renamed from the Crosby Branch Library to the Crosby Edith Fay Cook Cole Branch Library in honor of a local historian who chronicled much of Crosby's history, including the library's history. There have been 16 branch managers that we are aware of from the last 100 years. Although we don't know much about who managed the library in the 1920s, and 1930s. These days, you can find all sorts of things going on at the Crosby Library. For children, you will find preschool story time, bilingual story time, coding, STEM, 
take and make crafts, and of course, lots of books and movies. We have book buddies, and in the summer, we have a large summer reading program. We have many early literacy initiatives going on to help children become better readers and better students. We have activities for teenagers and opportunities for them to perform service to the library. For adults, we have free Wi-Fi and free public computers for anyone to use. We offer printing and copying services. And if you're looking for something interesting to do, we have an art club, conversation class for people who are working to improve their English, ESL classes for people who are wanting to learn English, and if you need help on the computers, we now offer computer classes. There's always something fun going on at the Crosby Library. We have a rich, colorful history from the last 100 years, and now we're looking forward to the next 100 and serving the Crosby community. Stop by and say hello. As part of our African American History Month celebration, the Jalen Baker Trio will be performing at libraries around Harris County. Logan Tuttle chats with the trio about jazz, their inspirations, and life as a musician in Houston. For February, we're chatting with Houston creatives about the Houston art and performance scene. We thought it would be interesting for our listeners to get insight from local musicians. So thanks for joining our podcast to share about your creative process. Could you please tell us a little bit about your background and what you're doing now? Yeah, so my name is Nils Ardall. Um, I'm a bass player, and uh, I've lived in Houston for seven years now. I originally grew up in, in Bismarck, North Dakota. My dad always had jazz music playing and everything, so I guess I got into that and started playing uh, jazz music as well in high school and everything. Decided I wanted to major in music, so I uh, auditioned at, at, at Rice for undergrad and classical bass and moved here for, for that. And then, um, yep, yep, so I play bass, you know, a lot of different genres of music, I guess classical and jazz being the, the the main two but Houston's a, a really good good scene to to kind of learn all these different styles there's a, a little pocket of music scene and uh, just about just about every style of music you can you can imagine there you just kind of got to know where to look so I'm Jalen Baker I'm a vibraphonist from Houston I guess I started playing in about the third grade I went to McGregor Elementary where they when you're in the third grade you pick an instrument or you sing and I can't sing so I picked an instrument I picked drums and then went to the performing arts high school here. And then from there, I studied jazz at Columbia College, uh, Chicago, went to Florida State University for my master's for two years. Right before the pandemic, I moved back to Houston and I have been here since. So it's, it's kind of still a little fresh for me being back home. It's only been about two years. I've been playing and traveling with Nils and Gavin and, and you know, just trying to make it happen. Hey, I'm Gavin Moulton. I play drums. I've been playing since I was about 16. I went to KD High School and I guess I did percussion in like middle school and I was never like super into it, but I found drum set like when I was 16. I haven't really stopped since. And just been kind of freelancing around Houston since uh, I graduated high school pretty much. And it's been nothing but great, like nothing but positive things to say about Houston. Well, luckily that feeds into a couple of questions I'd like to ask. So uh, what fostered y'all's passion for jazz and then brought you together to form this trio? For me, when I was in high school, I went to HSPVA here in Houston. Um, I guess at the time when I was there, at least my first two or three years, I was primarily a classical percussionist. So playing more marimba and timpani and triangle, stuff like that. And but most of my like really good friends were um, in the jazz department, like uh, Paul Cornish, Jalen Archie, James Francis, like guys who are still playing now doing really great things. So I was around it so much and having 
played it a little bit in middle school and some family members of mine are jazz musicians. I always felt like a pretty strong attraction to it. So just kind of being surrounded by um, by people who were constantly doing it and talking to it and showing me music, it kind of, um, it grew on me and I eventually chose to dive into it myself and it's kind of just stuck since. I guess for me, uh, my best friend in high school at the time was like really in uh, McCoy Tyner and John Coltrane and stuff and Miles and, and, you know, we would just roll around together and he would like just show me some of that stuff. And then like, I found out we had a jazz man like my sophomore year of high school and that kind of gave me an avenue to kind of play drum set at school where I like didn't really have, you know, any other avenue. And then like me and my, my best friend at the time, we would just like kind of get together and play duo and just really got me into playing jazz and like just kind of playing drum set more. Yeah, for me, um, I guess I started out playing just classical bass. I started on a little half size bass when I was 10, you know, in elementary school. Um, and through through that, you know, it was just was playing playing music in the classes through middle school and everything. And our high school back in, in Bismarck, North Dakota had a, a good uh, jazz band director, Mr. Pesky, who was really, you know, excited about this kind of music. My dad just being a, a I guess he loved jazz music himself and just not being a professional, but just had had a lot of, you know, old kind of what, what Gavin's mentioning with uh, old Miles Davis recordings and John Coltrane recordings and all those kinds of things. Just So when it time came to kind of decide what I wanted to do after high school, I wound up coming down to, to Rice and being, um, I guess, excited to, to focus on classical in school as a big contrast from Bismarck. You know, there's there's a, a really happening scene of, of, of gigs and stuff like that, musicians playing and everything. So kind of in, in tandem was able to play in a few jam sessions. I started play, playing with Gavin, you know, this one Sunday night jam session a few years ago. And through things like that kind of started able to to use the interest i had in jazz a little bit more and, and play some gigs oh that's so awesome thanks for all the insight and i'm also from houston but it's really nice to hear about uh these different scenes that i like had no idea about like i went to i went to the university of north texas for my undergrad so the jazz scene there is huge they have a very prominent jazz department so to go from there and then like come back home and like learn about all of this is like incredibly interesting so thank you just to feed back into that too so y'all definitely have to travel as musicians so how does houston's music scene compare to other cities that you've performed in um i'd say it's a little smaller i guess houston's what the fourth largest city in the country so compared to new york chicago and la the scene is a little smaller but the talent is still clearly comparable it's just not as many musicians here other than that it's like i don't think over the last year or so me me and gavin i guess specifically have jumped around a little and played in a bunch of different places and most places are the same it's just people people are nice people most people listen to the same kind of stuff um the world is small now so it's a lot of the time you kind of know these people before you even get there even if you never met them in person and there's great musicians everywhere i guess is what i'm saying and um houston doesn't have a shortage and neither does any of those other places yeah definitely agree with Jalen. like it's a little smaller like i, I felt like i kind of met most people in town like after like a year or two of just like kind of gigging but like everyone's been like really cool and super nice and very welcoming yeah similar experience here um i guess in a way it's almost been to, to a benefit you know having the smaller scene and 
there being kind of a community aspect like so in a sense that's there's there's definitely upshots to being able to kind of get out there and people you know welcoming you to a to a degree you know you start going to some jam sessions people see you a couple times and everything and people people are, are pretty nice and in, in that regard and the, the scene in houston is, is cool in that way for sure that's really interesting so i guess y'all just like all met in a, multiple jam sessions is what i'm getting i had just moved back to town and i guess me, me and gavin have a mutual friend Corey, who i had met at somebody else's gig i guess and so me and Corey had played a couple times and then gavin i think and you could correct me i'm not sure i guess needed somebody to play a gig that Corey was also playing on so kind of just texted me i guess Corey gave gavin my number and we met that way i met Niels through gavin because we for this trio that we're doing now uh, we needed a bass player and very fortunate for us uh um Niels was available so that is you just kind of meet people through people i guess everybody's giving people's phone numbers out without their permission i guess i don't know <laughs> <laughs> but it seems like that's how the best connections are made exactly <laughs> exactly so i know y'all are partnered with the camera um which is a houston arts organization could you give us a little bit of insight about your partnership with them it started last around last june they had hired me for a few things in 2020 like i had a quartet play at the manil and then we did something else at the museum and eventually i think they saw an opportunity with a few of us being younger jazz musicians in town um they saw an opportunity to add a jazz portion portion of what they call their young artist program they approached me and asked if i'd be interested in kind of helping them form like a trio or a quartet or whatever and i recommended gavin and gavin recommend i didn't know another bass player so gavin recommended Niels. so it all it, it all worked out and um we're we've been able to get this going and i guess we're their inaugural class of the jazz sector of the young artists program okay so y'all are like the first jazz group with the camera yep wow how's that been we've been doing quite a bit it's been cool because um they they kind of set us up with a lot of uh, interesting op um, performance opportunities and every um, performance that we have is a situation where people are coming to listen people are coming to hear everyone seems to enjoy it and you know it's not just a, a restaurant gig where you know you kind of flies on the walls like you're more like you're being we're being showcased which is i think any artist enjoys being showcased you know we don't mind playing the restaurant gigs or the wedding gigs but sometimes it's cool to um you know that you have everyone's full attention in a room and maybe present original music or whatnot and maybe somebody else can speak to their experience so far no i definitely agree with everything he said it was you know it's been really cool like having just you know kind of being uh just having jalen's music like showcased and like you know just like listening to a captive audience yeah same here um you know the houston scene again like like jalen mentioned you know there's lots of lots of gigs you know playing weddings lots of like there's so many things that are you know kind of stable work for a musician i guess you know if you want to be here teach students and you know play those kinds of gigs and stuff there's a lot of that going on but there's not there's not a lot for for like you know ticketed jazz clubs and those kinds of things like that's that's the one thing that can be kind of kind of tricky to, to get that kind of concert venue you know or let alone you know someone to to bring an audience to the door and stuff so you can uh you know showcase some original musics or arrangements you know like like stuff that, that jalen's been doing it's been really fun to to do that kind of stuff there's just not not as many opportunities to do that specific side of of the music we do in town so it's been really fun to, to play with the camera for that reason for sure it's so interesting to hear about that it definitely has a lot of potential for jazz musicians and it is great that the camera is acknowledging that and utilizing y'all that's really cool 
So to kind of round this all out, uh, have you listened or read anything recently that you would like to suggest for up and coming musicians or even anyone who's like interested in music? I guess maybe not listen or read specifically, but I other like a couple of weeks ago I watched Quincy Jones's documentary on Netflix. And I think he him the person is a great example of what a musician can do. A jazz musician turned composer, turned producer, turned TV producer, you know, just kind of someone who did it all. It was it was really interesting to uh, see and you know shows what you what anybody can really do if you stick to it and really grind out what you're going for. Yeah, and for me, I guess since I'm at this moment kind of focusing on on you know taking orchestral auditions and trying to to further things that way, I've been thinking a lot about the you know performance preparation and dealing with nerves and that kind of stuff. And this this uh, I hope I'm not butchering his name, uh, Doctor Noah. Kagayama, I believe, is, is, is his last name. Correct me if I'm, I'm wrong on that. has a, a blog called The Bulletproof Musician, which is online. You can find that stuff. And it's it's got all kinds of articles about the just how to improve your game and kind of work work on the kind of artificial aspects of performance and stuff. And sure, in your, your preparation up, um, when you know that you're going to be playing something in a setting that makes you nervous, like an audition or playing for playing for a colleague or a teacher or something like that, that, that kind of stuff has been something I've been reading up on, I guess, a little bit. So The Bulletproof Musician is a really good good blog if anybody out there is, is interested in, in uh, learning more about music and preparation, that kind of thing. Any other performances outside of your partnership with Harris County? Anything else that you have going on? Just to add, because uh, Gavin's like in, insanely humble. So G- Gavin plays like five or six days a week, um, specifically Whoa. on s- <laughs> specifically on Sunday. He play he plays a, a great gig. I I don't play on it, but with pianist Art Fristo on Sundays, um, that I think that more people probably should know about and uh, go to and attend because Art always the pianist always lets people sit in and it's, it's a wine bar. I know people love wine. I enjoy it. I usually go hang out every every weekend when I can. Don't let his nonchalant demeanor fool you. This man is oh. working <laughs> incredibly hard. <laughs> uh, yeah, that spot's actually been cool. Uh, Nels did the gig a couple of times. It's a wine bar on the uh, east end of town off of Harrisburg. It's called How to Survive on Land and Sea. And we play every Sunday, 8 to 11. I know the name's a mouthful, but <laughs> it's, it's a really cool spot. Oh, I'm stoked. I've been wanting to find like a good jazz bar since I moved back to Houston. So very excited. Yeah, no, definitely. It's it's a really cool spot. And like, I love playing there. Like the band's like usually like really solid. We play like really cool tunes that you might not hear elsewhere. I wanted to ask, it wasn't any, in any of uh, Logan's list of questions, but like when you guys are playing... Is it all improvised or do you guys are you playing like a uh, set like of music? I, I, at least for what me, Gavin and Niels do, everything is we're improvising within the, the realms of some sort of structure. So there will be a song and then within that song, you know, different things can happen. It probably won't say it probably won't sound the same way twice or at least a chunk of it won't sound the same way twice. So it's not fully improvised. There's people who do that. Ours is um, a little bit more uh, structured in the sense of play the melody of the song. The middle of it is a little bit more improvised based on a chord progression. And then usually play the melody at the end and then we're done. (laughs) One more question that I think is just kind of like a fun question. If you could switch instruments, like if there were a different instrument that you wanted to focus on, what would it be and why? Bass, for sure. Uh, Electric bass. I don't know. It's just something about that instrument. It just seems seems cool to me. Uh, And 
it's on most of my favorite music. Like my mom plays, used to play so much Earth, Wind, and Fire, and like just Motown recordings and whatnot. And if you put put that music on like some good speakers, it's like nothing but bass. So that that would be it for me. Man, I was I was gonna say the same thing. Probably electric bass, like. I find myself like whenever I like listen to music, like I'm like really like keying into like, you know, what the bass player is doing. And just, I think the relationship between drums and bass is just like a very important one. I'm sure Nels would, would attest. And like the more, like the older I get and like, you know, trying to expand my ears, like I try and like, you know, strengthen that relationship with like with the bass player. So like, I'm always just trying to check out more of that. So I think that would be the most honest answer. Couldn't agree more about the relationship between the drummer and the bass player, like having just like a solid rhythm section, like, but I, I don't know, I'd either be tempted to, to say either drums or, or piano. So either drums or piano, I would say for me. Right. Awesome. I think that wraps it up for us. Um, thanks for coming out. I really appreciate y'all taking the time to talk with us. This was an incredibly fun interview. Oh, thanks for, thanks for having, having us. us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Houston has a rich theatrical tradition, and creators have flocked to Houston from all over the country to become part of it. Harold J. Trotter is one such creator. Performer, writer, director, he discusses all these roles with Jennifer Finch. Hello, my name is Jennifer Finch, the branch manager of the Spring Branch Memorial Library. Today we are holding an interview with Harold J. Trotter, the chief creative director of 1989 Dreams Productions. He studied music performance and theater at Grambling University and works as an actor, playwright, director, and clinician. Thank you for joining us today, Harold. Good morning. All right. Well, I am so happy to have you here. We're here at Using Our Library Voices. We're working on highlighting different creators here in the Houston area. But I wanted to ask you, what got you started in performing arts? Okay, so I've been probably performing my whole life, right? I always remember the earliest story of my sister. Me and my sister are 10 years apart, and she was having like her sweet 16 party. And I remember busting in the room and like impersonating Michael Jackson. (laughs) And like doing the splits and the moonwalk and all. So I've been performing my whole life. But I think the most important part of like childhood that made me want to be a performer was this movie called Sister Act 2. You familiar with it? Very familiar. Okay. So if you remember, uh, Sister Mary Clarence, who was played by Whoopi Goldberg, she was telling a a young um, Lauren Hill in the movie, if when you wake up in the morning, all you think about being is a singer, then you already are a singer. And she said, if you think about being a writer, then you already are a writer. And that was just so empowering to me because it just told me in that moment, I didn't have to wait till, you know, the world told me I was a performer. I didn't have to wait till the paychecks were coming. If this is what I believed that I was right then and there, then I already am that. And if I believe that that's who I am, then I'll begin to act like that. And then once you begin to act like that, you eventually will be it. So that was so important to me. And, and and I know you know the part where they say, if you want to be somebody and you want to go somewhere, somewhere you better, better wake, up. wake up and pay attention. There you yep. go. See? <laughs> the song was already going through my head. So that movie was so important and I credit it so much to uh, why I am and who I am today. No, it's a great film. It's actually, I enjoyed that one more than Sister Act, probably because of all the teenagers in it. Right. Of course, now and people no get mad when you say that. <laughs> I, I really enjoy the interactions between Whoopi Goldberg's character with the teenagers. Yeah. It seems very authentic. And honestly, while it is in its own ways just as silly as the first movie, it cuts out some of the camp. And I actually appreciate that. It was really great. And a quick fun fact about it is the lady who wrote the Sister Act 2, 
actually graduated from my same school, Grammy State University. And I got to meet her just a few months before she passed away, which was really cool and really uh, special to me. And it was just like a full circle moment. I saw that you grew up in San Diego and then you went to Grambling. So what drew you here? Yeah, well, one, like the rent is crazy in San Diego. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just insane. So literally when I was done with school, I had went to All-Star Weekend in Houston. And then I had been to D.C. to perform. And I was like, oh, my God. I love these two places. I'm going to move to one. And I literally pulled up like apartments.com and I looked at the rent in DC and the rent in Houston. And I was like, yeah, down South Houston is where it's at. That's similar to how I ended up here. Uh, I like to write, but playwriting is something that kind of, I've never really had the talent for, but what are some of the process that you go through when writing a play? Yeah, that's a great question. Cause I absolutely love writing right? and I love storytelling. So through my company, we have this model that we use, which is creating entertainment, innovating minds, and moving generations through the work we create. So whenever I'm writing the story, I always try to use that as a checklist. I'm like, okay, did I create something that was entertaining? Did I write something that's going to innovate people's minds? And then moving generations is so important to me. And what I mean by that is, is this something that I can talk to my grandma about? Is this um, a performance that I could talk to my nephew who's nine years old about? Is this something that's going to inspire people to create a change? I don't ever want people to leave a show and not feel some type of change and some type of movement. So I always use that as a checklist. Then when it comes down to writing the actual story, I'm a writer who likes to start from the back and build it uh, and then build it up, you know? So I always say, where's the end goal of this story? And I'll tell you, as a writer, almost 80% of the time, whatever my end goal was, ends up not being what it is. <laughs> so yeah. it's actually done. But it, that's usually where I started. I know we've, we have a uh, writing group that does programs uh, virtually every month with Harris County Public Library. And one thing that has become very, very clear is that everyone has a different method and purpose in their writing. Some people do outlines. Some people just start writing. Some people like you start from the back and just everybody has their own method that works for them. What are some challenges that you faced in reaching your goals? Challenges are every day, right? And it's one of those crazy things when you think you've conquered a set of challenges and you're like, okay, I know how to deal with this now. It just never works out that way. And it's funny you ask that because this morning I was doing, um, okay, it's like a new year. So I was trying a new thing. So I tried morning meditation, right? Hmm. So not for me. (laughs) (laughs) But what I did get from it this morning actually is so funny that you asked that is that how you solve a problem because it worked one time, one way does not mean it's going to work the same way the next time, right? And the only thing that we can guarantee you're going to face every time is challenges. Um, So how I deal with challenges is I'm one of those people who is like, let's just look for the solution. I guess kind of like my writing. Let's go to the end. Let's look for the solution and then try to work our way there um, because challenges are just going to keep arising. And I, I think that's something once you have in your mindset that every day is going to be a different type of challenge, then you'll understand that it's not necessarily a challenge. It's just today's objective. Yeah, I can definitely see that um, here in the library. Every day is a new day, and it's always interesting to what's going to pop up, what challenges we're going to face, what little things are going to happen that are going to be different. Now, we talk about challenges, but what's your favorite memory in what you 
have been in the work that you do? Oh man, that's a great question. I've had so many wonderful memories. Um, I've had the opportunity to perform all over the country, but I think the greatest memory I've had is giving other people opportunities. I love seeing people come in and audition and their excitement when they get it. My favorite, favorite thing is seeing people who are my acting students start off as walking in, not knowing anything and just being my student. And then months later, they're in movies or they're on stage performing and they're Mm -hmm. taking that final bow. Uh, To me, that's the most important thing because I believe greatly in education, right? People think that because we're performers, you don't have to study your craft. You don't have to practice and build on it. Um, And I always use the analogy that even LeBron James still goes to basketball practice. Even LeBron James has a trainer still, you know? Mm. And, And I try to remind people that in order to be the greatest, you have to prepare, you have to study, you have to, um, you know, practice what you're doing. So my greatest memories are always seeing my students excel in this field. Yeah, that practice is always very, very important. And I think a lot of people forget that when they look at this really fantastic musician or a very fantastic actor and they think it's easy and they think, oh, well, it's just so easy what they're doing. They're just playing pretend or they're just doing, you know, they're so naturally talented and they forget all of the years and the years and years and years of hard work and practice that has gone into that. This kind of follows along with my next question, the last question that I have for you today is, what would you like people to know about creators? Something I want people to know about creators, that's a good one. I think the most important thing to know about creators is that we're all one, right? There's not just people who write our creators, not just the people who make music. Each and every one of us are creators. We were here destined to create something, right? You may be a creator of medicine. You might be a creator of the next hair product. I don't know. Whatever it is, we're all creators. And we create memories. We create moments. We create happiness. We create peace. You are a creator. So I think the most important thing I want anybody to know is that you have that power within you And if you just realize that and you tap into that each and every day, there's somebody who's waiting on you to do something amazing so that they can do the amazing things in their life. Thank you very much for joining me here today, Harold. I 100% agree that we're all creators. Mm -hmm. And in a way, we're all storytellers because who hasn't told a story about their family to someone else? And I think if everybody just remembers, everybody's a storyteller, everybody's a creator, I think they might, you know, have a little bit more understanding. A little smile on your face, right? Exactly. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And we look forward to seeing what happens with 1989 Dreams Productions. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we leave? Before we go, we have to do it together, okay? Okay. If you want to be somebody, somebody. if you you want to go somewhere, you better wake up up and make make it happen. (laughs) Love it. Thank you so much, Pizza Library. Thank you. Bye, Harold. Missing home access to Ancestry for all your genealogy needs? Laura Smith fills you in on all the alternatives in this month's database drill. Hi, this is Laura from Collection Development. 
Today's database drill is for the genealogy fans out there. Back in early 2020, at the beginning of the pandemic, ProQuest granted temporary remote access to Ancestry Library Edition, a resource that usually requires you to be at one of our branches to use. We are extremely grateful that they made this decision, but many of you have probably already realized that remote access ended effective December 31st of 2021. While we wholeheartedly welcome everyone back to our branches, we also realize that when the bug to research hits you after hours, you might need access to some resources available to you from home. Let me share a few resources that I hope you're going to find helpful. One of the first resources I'll mention is Heritage Quest because it offers some of the same basic collections that Ancestry offers, like U.S. Census records, city directories, and more. FamilySearch is another free resource that allows you to search millions of digitized records from around the world. Just create a free account and start searching. They also offer a lot of educational resources and classes to help you grow your genealogy research skills. Interested in some Texas-focused resources? The Handbook of Texas and the Texas Almanac, both published by the Texas State Historical Association, are great online reference sources for history and data on Texas places, people, history, geography, and more. The Portal to Texas History which is a project of the University of North Texas, partners with libraries, archives, and institutions from around the state to digitize historical collections and make them available to researchers for free. I personally have had a lot of luck with their historical newspapers, and I've also been able to tease my aunt about the picture of her that I found in the Abilene Christian University yearbook, so you might find some gems like that. Last but not least, the Texas Digital Sandborn Maps are fire insurance maps from the years 1867 to 1970. You can see a snapshot of local communities and towns from the years that maps are available for them. So this is a great resource if your ancestors own businesses or lived in town. You can have an idea of what the town or community looked like when they were living and working there. So I checked out the 1955 map for Houston and looked at Gulfgate Shopping Center because it's near our administrative offices. That was before I was born, but it was still kind of cool to see stores like Joskies and Kenny's Shoes that I do remember being at the malls and shopping centers when I was a kid in the 80s. So there's a lot out there that you have access to 24-7 if you have access to the internet at home. We've curated a list of some of what we find to be the most useful, especially when you're first getting started in genealogy research. You can find all the resources that I mentioned today and a few more on our website. You just go to www.hcpl.net and click on ebooks and online resources. You'll see a list of some of our research resources under research and learn. If you click on that, it's going to open up all all of our electronic resources, but you can filter down by subject on the left-hand side of the screen. So if you click on genealogy and local history, it's going to take away all the others that aren't labeled genealogy and local history, and you'll just see those resources. So happy searching. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Using Our Library Voices. If you enjoyed this episode, we welcome you to subscribe to Using Our Library Voices podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other podcast streaming platforms. For more information on any of the resources and books mentioned in this episode, please contact your local library or visit the website at www.hcpl.net. This podcast was produced by John Harbaugh, edited by Jennifer Nondalaw, and hosted by Darla Pruitt. Featured voices from Jennifer Finch, Molly McGinty, Laura Smith, and Logan Tuttle. Guests included Nils Ardall, Jalen Baker, Gavin Mulchan, and Harold J. Trotter.